Welcome back to the Your Hired podcast, brought to you by the Bastion Family Center for Career Success at Knox College. I'm your host, Lorelei Boone, and in today's episode, we are focusing on Teach for America. We are joined by Miranda Zink, a recruitment manager and former core member, and she is going to talk with us about her experience with the organization. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what drew you to work for Teach for America? Yeah, so my name's Miranda Zink. And I grew up on the west side of Cleveland, Ohio. I, w- I grew up in a town called Lorraine. Um, I went to Lorraine High School. And it's a very low-income area. It is about 50% Black, 30% Latinx, and then um, a mix of a lot of other races on the other half of that. And I would say for me... Being someone who identifies as a white woman, I I felt, I never actually really knew how to articulate how I felt about it. Being in high school, you know, 15 to 18 year old, I'm very much, I was very much um, selfish and naive as far as like only thinking about myself, but I was in a lot of their sporting events. And every time I went somewhere and I didn't have my school mascot or colors on, they would always ask if I was on the other team. Um, And there was also very small things, like the very few white people that were at my school were in different classes than, I mean, it was very much so, like if you were in a higher class, I noticed that there was a lot more white students in the classes. Um, I was a first generation college student as well. So I navigated the whole realm of of getting to college all on my own. I went to Ohio University, um, definitely had first generation everything when it came to picking a major, trying to like fulfill prophecies that my parents set out for me and what I wanted to do. And I just was really unsure. Um, One thing I did know I was good at was math. So I decided to major in mathematics. And then halfway through, I was like, what am I gonna do with this? I mean, I like it. I'm good at it, but I don't, I just didn't really feel like that sense of like, I'm accomplishing anything meaningful or impactful. So I decided to pick up an education degree as well. And I started doing a lot of work around the surrounding area and at Ohio University, which is in Athens, Ohio. And outside of the university itself, it's a very rural impoverished area. So I grew up in an urban low income area. And then I was literally in very complete opposite type of environment in the rural side of things. But what I did notice about both of my experiences in this education sector was the inequities that were playing out in both the urban and the rural. Um, And the more that I like thought about it, the more that I saw the, the lack of resources. I mean, the graduating class I was teaching at in Athens, Ohio, or like student teaching and and getting my observation hours, had 40 kids. And it was very small, very different from where I grew up. And there was a lot of other things that I also noticed besides lack of resources or, you know, small numbers. But I would say like access to healthcare. I mean, the nearest hospital, major hospital by Athens was Columbus, Ohio, which is an hour and 15 minutes. And a lot of my students just weren't educated or families weren't educated on what what they had as far as availability, resources, and things like that. Um, and in an essence, I, I started also taking some classes in sociology and psychology and just started realizing how much 
Um, our education system was founded essentially on institutionalized racism and classism. And from my own upbringing, I noticed that, you know, when I, when I was reflecting as a first generation college student, a lot of my classes, seeing students just excel so much faster than I did, know how to navigate resources and um, navigate just college life in general a lot better than I could. Um, and I wanted to do something about it. I wanted to be a part of it. I wanted, even when I decided my sophomore year, I wanted to make an impact. I wanted to make a, like a meaningful career, something where I wasn't just sitting behind a desk crunching numbers or I was doing research for whatever and it wasn't like going to do anything. Like I was, I just felt like it was like I needed a self-fulfilling prophecy where I could make a difference in the lives of kids, specifically kids who grew up maybe like me in a low-income area that have aspirations, have and it's not even aspirations to go to college because I don't think college is the end all be all for everyone. But I do think we need to support our students um, in our pre-K through 12th grade schooling system right now and whatever they define as successful. So they're on a pathway to economic mobility at some point in their life and not even just economic mobility, but happiness, finding that passion or that niche that they want to do. Um, and that's hard right now because I do think there's a lot of things hindering it, including, like I said, racism and poverty in particular, that we're not doing a good job at making sure that we're ensuring our students are going to be successful in the long term. So that's when I found Teach for America. Um, I was like, I actually applied my senior year and did not get in. And I was kind of devastated because I felt like I was one of those kids that Teach for America is going to teach and I didn't get in. So I actually stayed at Ohio University for a fifth year and got a master's in recreational and sports management. And I reapplied. Uh, very, I wouldn't say... I wouldn't say necessarily all willingly because I definitely was holding a grudge <laughs> since I didn't get in the first time, um, but I did. And then I finally got in and my Midwest Ohio self went all the way to Houston, Texas. And with Teach for America, it's a two-year program, but my two years turned into seven. Um, and in all honesty, it, I just fell in love with the area. I fell in love with my kiddos. I fell in love with my school. Um, I taught high school math. And there was a lot of room for professional growth and development. I became um, a head or I was an assistant softball coach. Like I said before, athletics has always been a big part of my life. I played at OU and um, yeah, so I became an assistant softball coach, then head softball coach. And then eventually down the line, I became a woman sports coordinator at my school district that I worked for um, before moving back to Ohio for family reasons. But I mean, there was just a lot of professional and personal growth when you move away far from home. <laughs> um, you have to go through and not knowing anyone and utilizing your network. And that's really where Teach for America came into play for me. Um, so I found it through my own passions, to be honest with you. And then I continued on that pathway. And then when I moved home um, after seven years in Houston, I decided to look into being on staff and now I'm employed by Teach for America. So I'm in a very fortunate position with that. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, I can definitely relate to sort of like your upbringing. I grew up in a really small rural town um, and my mom like recently decided to go to college. So I was like first generation, but I'm like half generation, I'd say. But yeah, it was there was not that many resources at my school. And then once I came to college, I realized that all these people were talking about like they had like AP classes and like all this. And I was like, 
what do you mean like you had like different classes that you could take like we were all just like in pretty much in the same room like it was definitely like very eye-opening to see where other people come from and that the education system across America is not where it needs to be I don't think no and very likewise my mom actually got her degree like at the same time I did so I'm first generation but like half kind of yeah. first um my mom's now an RN and she's a nurse but it it is really mindful like I think it's easier said than done I mean it's easier to say you understand about educational inequity when it comes to like oh I saw it on the movies or a friend told me like that this actually happens but I think specifically in those rural areas too I mean I was very naive as far as this was in 2012 and they were still using dial-up internet in some places of the building because Wi-Fi was not available. Like you could not get it there. Um, they were using textbooks that were very outdated. And when you have a small class size of only 40, there was only two math teachers. There was only two high school science teachers. And that's a lot on a teacher just to like be able to navigate the complexities of prepping for different classes and you can only then afford to offer so many classes just in the school day. And so when we didn't have AP classes to offer, I, I was just like, oh, or like the different opportunities for after school programs. Like it just was a very different world than what I had grown up in. And like I said, I even grew up in a low income area too, but just like the vast, like there was definitely similarities that overlap, but also some major differences and in both places, I just wanted to make sure that we were offering resources and opportunities to all of those students because it's an unjust. The only people who are not, I mean, like, I mean, it's just an unjust that the youth are the ones that are taking the hit for this. All honesty, then it's all this big cycle. And that's where I also think in terms of when you say educational inequity, it's a very complex issue. It's actually a very systemic issue because of the other, other inequities that are at play here. Um, affordable housing, income disparities, I would say even policies, laws. I know in Houston, a, a huge component of the work that we did surrounding my students, I taught in a, a very large Latinx community, was immigration rights and policies and legality issues. and. We had one social worker in the school that I worked at had 2,500 kids. Um, and it was just, I don't know, very mind-blowing in ways, but like also enraging to like want to continue on this work and this pathway. Because I think when it does come to educational inequity, like I said, um, it's a multifaceted layered problem, which it's not necessarily just an education's fault. It's not a teacher's fault. It is a society's problem like it was founded on this way that's why it's not like our system is failing us we actually built it to fail in the long run um and it's gonna take more of like a bureaucratic approach to obviously uprooting and ending it but we definitely need a collective force of diverse leaders i would say not just in the classroom but also outside people who have who've had proximity to this issue within the classroom walls and can make some of those I guess you would say bigger decisions on the outside to really change what's happening in our education system. Yeah, definitely. I totally agree with that. Um, so the next question is, what did you, what do you like best working with the company now and before when you were in the teaching aspect? Yeah. And that was, 
I mean, I like how you frame that because I think there's two different entities. Obviously, being a core member, um, what did I like working best as a core member? I mean, I know this is going to sound cliche and I'm trying not to give all cliche answers here, but the kids are what keep you going. I mean, teaching, I can, I can sit here and be really honest with you about Teach for America and about teaching and say, you know, what a great organization it is. But at the end of the day, teaching is not always rainbows and butterflies. <laughs> and teaching is really hard work and it can be really wearing and tiring on, on a teacher. I think even in more particular areas where we're teaching at, um, in those low income areas, both urban or rural, because if you are a teacher who cares, you're going to wear it on your sleeve. You're going to hold in your kids um, who are going through struggles just as much as you go through your own struggles because you care about them. You want to see them succeed. And um, so, yes, there's struggles with it. But like I said, at the end of the day, the reason I kept waking up every day and, and had a smile on my face, whether I was personally having a good day or a bad day, was for the kids. Um, seeing them go through struggles, go through failures, and at the end of the like, at the end, come out on the positive side, um, come out with a successful grade, come out knowing what they want to do or, you know, have accomplished so much in a year. I've had students literally raise their, their math scores, multiple grade levels in a year. And um, just the joy of them feeling confident, like especially in a high school math position where uh, most students don't like math. Um, it is so nice and rewarding to see those smiles on their faces or having them raise their hand or go from a very quiet, I'm not going to be in, um, engaged in class because I don't know the material to like always raising their hand, always asking questions. That to me is just some of the best moments in teaching. And then on top of that, just getting to know them in their own personal lives. And um, I think specifically in my position at the high school level too, just seeing the long end of it. I always taught algebra one. So I got them as freshmen and then I watched them all grow up and go through high school. So my babies became college students um, or entrepreneurs or managers in their own companies or businesses that they had been working for, which has been awesome. Um, so no matter what pathway my students took, um, I was just really exceptionally proud of all of them. And, and that's what I loved working with Teach for America. And then specifically for me, it was about not just teaching, but teaching in areas that I knew were needed the most um, to students that either we're like me from low-income areas or we're different because like, I mean, if I'm being honest, educational inequity really disproportionately affects our BIPOC students across the nation. And even though I don't identify as a person of color, um, those are the students that, that may not have a voice all the time. And I want to teach them how to advocate for themselves. I mean, it's one thing when you can say you can advocate for your students, but it's an entirely different thing when your students are able to find their own voice and advocate for themselves too. So that's what I liked most about working with Teach for America as a core member. Um, and then working with like-minded individuals. Um, I think anyone who does Teach for America, you don't need an education background to do Teach for America, but they're rooted in social justice. Um, 
They're rooted in wanting to see a profound impact in the lives of students in the short run and the long term for education standpoint and ensuring that we're making equitable measures, um, not just as a quick fix in our education system, but in those greater systems as well. Um, and then for me, what I like now working most about the company, <clears throat> I think now I can share my story with students who are going through that like post-grad life. Like, what do I want to do? And if you're someone who wants to make meaningful change and, <clears throat> and you've actually have like volunteer experience or you've worked in low-income areas or you've been affected by educational inequity yourself, and you want to make a difference, like this is the, the organization to do it with. You, you get a lot of training and support throughout your two years. And then you get your network of an, of an alumni base that ha is literally doing amazing things all the way from doctors to lawyers. We have Tony Vargas. He's a senator of Nebraska. We have people on Capitol Hill. We have amazing people doing equitable things for policy, legislation computer science, you name it. And I think the, it, the what am I looking for? The word. Uh, there's no limitations as far as where this can take you. Mm -hmm. And I think it does go into like Teach for America's long-term theory of change where it's that interlocking web of inequities, knowing that you can have the most amazing teachers in the classroom year after year. And while that's needed 150% time and time again, we also need people who have been proximate to that issue. I always think about it in terms of like, think about all the people at the White House, if they've, if they actually had work, if they've worked in a low income area in a school district, what, what, what would be some of these policies or the legislation that they would be making now um, if they were actually proximate to that issue? Mm -hmm. um, and so just in terms of whatever career path you want to go on, whether it's continuing on in an education setting or beyond, it is a really impactful organization to be a part of. And I love being part of that postgraduate college life for students. I love, I feel like it's secretly kind of like a faculty position on campus where I can interact with students. I'm in the know. I know about TikTok. I know I shouldn't part my hair on the side and wear <laughs> skinny jeans. No, I'm just kidding. But um, no, I, I get to interact and actually hear people's stories. And that's, it, it keeps me grounded. It keeps me rooted in wanting to make sure that we are putting the most diverse top leaders and candidates in classrooms to make that impact um, and who truly understand what is at stake. It's our kids that are at stake. It's our future what's at stake. Um, and just really want to make that equitable difference in the world. Yeah, that's, that was such a good answer. I think you touched on so many things that are important for um, and what is important to you as an individual working in the company. So yeah, what do you think um, makes Teach for America a unique opportunity for like postgraduate students as opposed to just like going into the workforce or whatever they were planning to do after college? Yeah, I think it's a unique opportunity for a lot of reasons <laughs> and I might be biased, but um, I would say, first of all, a lot of people have an, a misunderstanding that like Teach for America is just like you're volunteering your time, but you're actually getting paid. So you, you're not hired by Teach for America. When you apply to our organization, 
you're applying to be part of the core, but you're actually going to be hired by school districts, principals, administration at the 50. So we have 51 regions across the United States, which also makes us very unique. You do get to preference where you want to go. Um, and so you get to, if you're someone who wants to maybe be close to home, there's probably an opportunity. But if you're someone who's willing to like go where the greatest needs are or just try different scenery, um, it could be for you. Um, and you get a full salary and benefits from the school district that you work at. We're also partnered with AmeriCorps. So during your time that you're teaching in the core, you it's a two-year commitment. Like I said, each year you get about $6,000 in an educational award grant from AmeriCorps. So that's $12,000 in total. And that can be applicable towards federal undergraduate loans. It can be applied towards graduate school. Or it can, be, um, it can be applicable for the cost of certification because with Teach for America's program, you will become a licensed teacher in the state that you work for. And I think that also, again, makes us a very unique organization because you're also picking up a whole entire second career opportunity. Um, like for me, I know I was certified in the state of Ohio before I did Teach for America with a K or a seventh through 12th grade math license. But then when I moved to Texas, I also had to get certified there and my license didn't just roll over. So Teach for America, um, I had to take the test again and, and reapply. And what's nice now is I could teach in both Ohio or Texas um, since I'm licensed. And then, like I said, it, it's nice because I, you're making an impact. It's a people-orientated job. If you are a college senior and you don't know what you want to do, which I don't, I, I'd say about 90% of the students that I talk to don't know what they want to do. Um, or they'll say like, I want to go to grad school or I want to go to law school or I want to go to medical school, but they don't have like a specialty. Like, I don't know what I want to do yet, but I might want to go into this. I think in terms of Teach for America, you can make a true impact um, at your school district. You can interact with students. You can start organizations and clubs even at your school um, while simultaneously getting that first like step into the professional world. And you get to do that with an organization that'll give you a personal mentor and coach throughout your two-year commitment. Um, and I, I just think you're doing it again with like-minded individuals who are rooted in social justice. So at the forefront of people's morals or beliefs, like you are going to be living and breathing that every day. Um, and it helps set you up for like, okay, what do I want to do? If I want to go into law, do I want to go into family rights law? Do I want to go into immigration law? I mean, I'm not a law person myself, but like, I think it helps hone in on what areas you think are most critical in shaping educational inequity. And there's a plethora of those opportunities and everyone is different. Um, I think it's also unique in the sense that like beyond your two-year commitment for Teach for America, if you love the classroom and you are just having the time of your life in there, I know I was, <laughs> um, you're able to renew your contract with your school district. So you will have a job continuously after the two years. And I know throughout my career field, as a 31-year-old now, every step that I've made, whether it was switching school districts, whether it was moving up into a leadership position, or whether it was moving back across the country um, twice to Texas with no network, and then back to Ohio, where 
I thought I lost all my networking there because I had been gone for so long. I didn't. It, I, I utilized Teach for America alumni in almost every step of my way. Um, and that's kind of essentially what brought me back to a on staff position because um, an alumni reached out to me who was on staff and they'd be like, I think you should be, I think you'd be great at the recruitment position. Why don't you give it a shot? And I did. And so I think you're going to be joining people who I know universities and colleges obviously have their own alumni network and that makes them special too. But I think you're joining an alumni network, like I said, rooted in social justice, rooted in trying to uproot and dismantle systemic racism and institutionalized classism um, to its full ex fullest extent. Um, and I know this has been a really unique year with COVID. <laughs> um, I think I know that <clears throat> inequities have always been um, they've always been around. They didn't just become a thing because of COVID, but COVID has exacerbated the inequities to its fullest extent. Um, I think it's also brought on, even though we've lost thousands of people across the world, um, I'd also say that it has shed light onto things that have needed to be shed light on. Um, our Black um, movement was huge and it's continuing on and it's making everything at the forefront. Um, even our political views and what's happening in our political scene. I, I couldn't be more proud um, of where we're headed in that direction, just in terms of education and really trying to dismantle some of these systems because it does take all of us. It's not going to just take one race. It's not going to take one ethnicity. It takes a coalition of people um, to really make sure that we're, we're doing the right things um, as far as moving towards a more equitable future for our entire country. Definitely. Um, so you talked a little bit about who should apply for Teach for America. Um, and I was wondering yeah. if you could expand on that and also maybe like what would make a strong candidate. Yeah. So who should apply for Teach for America? So first of all, we actually have a couple really cool opportunities. If you're a senior currently, we have one more senior deadline left, which is on March 5th. Um, and throughout a regular season, we have five deadlines, usually spanning from one in September, October, December, February, and then March. If you're a junior, we actually have a really cool opportunity. We have three early deadline applications as well. So you could have applied just at our last one in January. But you can also apply to the one coming up on March 5th. And then we have an exclusive junior application due on April 9th. And what an early admissions junior could do is apply for our organization, go through the interview process, get an offer from us, and you don't have to accept that offer until the fall of your senior year. So you could go into your senior year with job offer in hand. Um, we do provide transitional grants and loans to people who are moving across the country. Um, I know, like I said, as a first generation college student, I had a ton of debt and I didn't know um, if I could even do this because I had to move from Ohio to Texas. Um, I did apply for some funding and got that too. So there is financial support. And I think it even made sense for me financially, just like I said, as a teacher who had a salary on top of the AmeriCorps money really made it feasible for me. Um, yeah, so juniors and seniors can apply for Teach for America. Who should apply? I think if you're someone who, who is 
who has a love for kids who can see that educational inequity is a systemic problem and it is rooted in social justice and it's rooted in institutionalized racism and classism and you want to do something to dismantle what we're do like what we're currently doing go for it you're gonna get that support and training i know a lot of people come to me and they're like well i don't have an education background i'll be honest i was one of those people that did have an education background and i was a little hesitant to do teach for america because i was like you mean to tell me these people who are biology majors can just become a, a teacher like in a year and be good at it um and I'll be honest, I was, I feel like I say I'm naive because across the entire United States, you have a bare minimum requirement to be a licensed teacher in any state is that you have a bachelor's degree. It does not necessarily have to be an education or not. You can go through alternative certification processes to become a teacher. And some of the best teachers that I met in Houston, um, didn't even do Teach for America. But when I talked to them about their own personal career pathways, they were mechanical engineers or they were a psychology major, sociology major. And I was like, well, how did you get into teaching? And they were like, well, I just started a job and I didn't like it. It wasn't meaningful. And so I wanted to go into teaching. And so I have had eight years of teaching experience at the high school level. I've had eight years of high school coaching experience. And one thing that I can tell you that a lot of people obviously doubt themselves not having an education background and they're like, can I do this? Yes, you can. And here's why. If you, be, I mean, it does take a certain personality, but you can do this because one, you've had K through 12 schooling yourself. So you've actually witnessed and saw a bunch of teachers and their strategies and how they set up classrooms already. But two, the most effective teachers, it, it really doesn't matter at the end of the day about the curriculum. It doesn't matter at the end of the day about those state standardized tests. What does matter is that you're building authentic and true relationships with your students. You're getting to know them for who they are. You're getting to help them and assist them. And like I said, give them a voice for the voiceless. Let students know what their opportunities and resources are. So I think that is the first and foremost. If you're somebody who can build relationships with students, this is for you. The curriculum, the, you know, structure of your classroom, the when do I give tests, how do I assess data, I have to call parents for this, or how do I do my classroom management, that, that will come with the support and the training. I know with Teach for America, you get support and training. Your school district usually provides first year and second year teachers with additional support and training. And then in every single one of our regions that we place core members in, they do have to become a licensed teacher. So you have to go through that alternative certification program. So you have like three entities of support and training that you're going through, almost sometimes overwhelming how much and you kind of like have to like pick and choose what makes the most sense for you in order to be successful. But um, yeah, I'd say who should apply is if you, I think what makes or what would make you a good candidate would be that you have some experience volunteering, working in low-income communities. It doesn't necessarily always have to be like in the education section, like sector, but if you have experience in there or if you have done experience in education, whether it be tutoring, whether you're a TA, whether you go and read at your local elementary schools, um, I think if you're rooted in education or you're rooted in that low-income area, um, you 
have a mindset of expanding and a true belief that no matter what, even through your own personal biases, that any student can be successful, will be successful, and should have the right to be successful, this is for you. Um, and then lastly, I think what would make a strong candidate is if if you don't have experience, obviously working in or volunteering in a low-income community would be that you've experienced this firsthand. You have felt the wrath of what educational inequity has done to maybe yourself, maybe a family member, um, and you want to make that difference. So I think there's two entities here. I You definitely have to understand what educational inequity inequity is. I think Teach for America in the past, and I'll just name it, has gotten a rep for kind of being like this white savior complex program where we were looking for top leaders at universities and literally playing into this like white dominant culture where, okay, they have a high GPA, they have a high leadership. And I'll be honest, we did look at that before, but we've really changed our admissions model this past year to make sure that we're not perpetuating any further harm on our students because the students that we're serving are most likely being, or are, they're not most likely, they are being affected by educational equity. They're disproportionately um, our BIPOC students. And so we don't want to build out this white dominant culture. We don't want the white savior complex. Um, so if you're somebody who is like, I don't even know what educational inequity is. I don't know what systemic racism or classism is. How does this play out? I don't know if this would necessarily be for you um, because we want people who will genuinely go in and make that difference, who want to see those things happen. Um, and then lastly, I would say it's okay if you have experienced educational inequity firsthand, but you do understand what, like how your identity would show up with your students. What does privilege mean? And, and how could you check your, your biased opinions every day to be anti-racist teacher? I mean, I don't want to like, I don't also want to discriminate against certain races to not do this, but it is hard work and you have to be able to understand the identity of self when you're talking with your students. We can actually continuously perpetuate harm without even meaning to like internally, it could just be accidental because of your biased opinions. Um, but we're looking for people who are, who want to be anti-racist teachers who want to make that difference. Yeah. I'm really excited that we have this partnership now. I know I am too. And like I said, I've mentioned that I've talked to a, a handful of Knox college students and, and obviously your career service offices. And it, it's been really, it's been really joyful. Um, it, it's been invigorating. I've actually had lots of deep conversations about systemic racism, classism, and, and those are the conversations that need to be happening in order for these systems to change. So, I mean, sometimes it can be in an uncomfortable situation to like talk to people about them, but it's those uncomfortable situations where real change does happen. And that's what also needs to happen in our education system. Yeah. We need to be teaching our students the background and the history of like, not just of, I don't know, like miscellaneous things, but slavery. What does that mean for students? What is this Asian hate crime that's happening now because of the of, of, of COVID. And we need to be having these conversations with our youth, letting them know that it's okay to talk about it because we all can grow together in our own identities. Um, but yeah, 
Like that makes me very excited to be part of, you know, Knox College, their environment here, and and obviously providing this opportunity to students there um, that that want to do this and can see themselves making that impact. Thank you so much, Miranda, for joining us and talking about your experiences as well as Teach for America and who should join. Um, that's all for today's episode, and if you would like to get in contact with Miranda, her email will be in the description of this episode. Make sure you follow us on Instagram and Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel.